The kids and I used to watch Steve Irwin casually grab some of the most poisonous snakes in the world. And he did it as though they were worms. Crocodile Dundee, I know he's fictional, but he mimicked real life gator wranglers who aren't afraid of wrestling the alligators or just feeding them right there. I remember the moment I realized what all of them had in common. They were calm. I don't doubt they still had a little fear and a lot of respect for the animals, but on the surface, they were calm. Well, it could have been the pizza I ate or the movie I watched. Could have been Miss Kayla's words when she said, I'm really getting tired of all these people in the news claiming that God is speaking through them. Whatever it was, in my dream, God said, hey, Mitch, I want you to go to the people who suck the light out of the room with their presence and leave everybody else in the darkness, and I want you to tell them about Jesus. I responded, oh, you're talking about Oakland Raiders fans who don't like service dogs, in-and-out double-double animal protein-style burgers, iced tea with light ice, and Lutheran liturgy, and yeah, I know they're not in Oakland anymore. And God said, I was thinking more along the lines of people who are hurting so badly inside that they start hurting people on the outside. And I said, well, why would you want me to tell people like that about Jesus? And God said, because I want you to. And I said, they don't deserve to hear about Jesus. And God said, I'll be the one who decides who needs to hear about me and who doesn't. And I said, God, eat a Snickers bar. You obviously aren't feeling like yourself because if you were, you would agree with me. And God said, you better go or I'm going to bring Jay Cutler out of retirement and make him the starting quarterback of the Denver Broncos again. And I said, okay, God, I get it. I'm going. I'm going. Who would be the absolutely worst person or group of people that you can imagine God putting on your heart to talk with about Jesus? What is it about them that is so whatever that makes you positive that they really don't deserve to hear about Jesus? They certainly don't deserve God's grace or love. You know, it might surprise you that the Bible talks a lot about monsters. Book of Job talks about a behemoth whose tail is like a giant cedar. The word, by the way, is in the majestic plural, meaning it's huge and fearsome. Job also talks about the Leviathan of the seas. Ancient fishermen said it was a sea dragon that could snap boats in two with its tail. Oh, and don't forget about old Jonah. He runs into a fish, not a whale, a fish. But that fish was big enough to swallow him whole. You know, theohistologians agree most of the beast mentions in places like Daniel and Revelation, they're just metaphors for evil empires and evil kings. But in Job and Jonah, they're actual beasts. In either case, the Bible makes it clear that God can conquer them. He can tame them. He can get them to eat grass out of his hands. Us mere mortals, on the other hand, those kind of beasts scare us. Whether they're evil empires threatening to enslave us, actual beasts that would not only eat out of our hand, but eat our hand and the rest of us as well, or things like COVID-19 that suck the life and the light out of our world. The Old Testament books alternate between the people of God, who are the church, either being in charge of the world or the world being in charge of them. One minute they're throwing parades, feasting on the fattened calf and screaming, we're number one. And the next they're moaning and groaning because they've been conquered by some beast of an evil empire or king or disease. And they really, really want to be free again. When God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah said no. And he didn't just say no, he got on a boat headed in the opposite direction 
and that was his exclamation point to his no. Why he thought he could argue with God, I'm not sure, but he did. Have you ever told God no? Or maybe you didn't get on a boat or a plane or a train or a bus, but maybe you stopped praying. Maybe you skipped church. Maybe you took a nap, avoided the person God wanted you to talk to, refused to go anywhere near the person that you know needs you. So God knew you were serious. That's why you did it. You know, whether it's God asking us to go and tell people we don't like about Jesus or being conquered by an evil empire or facing off against giant beasts, how should we respond? I mean, do we go the opposite direction like Jonah did? Do we fight with all of our might or do we just lay down and cry? I think the answer is whatever we expect to happen. I mean, what do we want to happen? Because if we think it's a lost cause, why would we waste all that energy? If we think we can win, we'll throw everything we've got at it. If we aren't sure, we'll probably vacillate between not just those three, but anything else we can think of, hoping that one of them might work. You know, for 10 months as a nation, a state, an island, a church, and as individuals, I'm pretty sure we've done all three. As we confronted COVID-19 and all the loss and the anxiety and the changes it forced on us, we've run the other way. We've gone toe to toe and dared it to kill us. We curled up and cried. At least I have. You know, spending more time in the Old Testament, specifically the Psalms during this time, it's given me a better glimpse of how God's people responded whenever they were faced with giant monsters. Most of the time they didn't run away. They didn't fight. They didn't cry. Well, they may have cried, but they didn't do it publicly. Nope, they simply waited, and they waited in faith. While they waited, they told one another stories. They reminded one another of God's promises. They sang, they wrote, they played instruments. And their words and stories and songs were their way of remembering who they were. They were the people of hope. They were the people of light. They were the people of God, chosen by God, set apart by God. You know, each story or song ended with the words that were similar to Isaiah 13 when it said, Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the pride and glory of the Babylonians will be overthrown by God. Or maybe they echoed the book of Job where it said, God has the behemoths and the leviathans eating out of his hand. Or maybe it's today's psalm. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. Selah. You know, the people of God were waiting until God began to move. And that's when they moved. They waited until God was moving, because then they knew the time was right. Daniel and John are especially good at envisioning God's enemies as vicious beasts. Oh, when they describe them, they have claws and sharp teeth and strong muscles, and you don't need a lot of imagination to uh, figure out they could just rip you to shreds. The beasts of Daniel and Revelation don't have to be real to be scary, though, because the people who lived in those times, they had no problem translating and connecting those beasts with the soldiers who conquered their land and walked the streets terrifying them who took away their livelihood. 
or the priests who kidnapped God and replaced him with a stone or a wooden idol. And the faithful who dared to gather together quietly discussed what they would do if the king demanded their worship or their death. It was easy to know what they should do. It was far harder to know if they could actually do it. In each story, there is a theme. God tolerates the beasts at first, usually, by the way, because his people have wandered away from their faith. So he lets his people sit in darkness. He allows them to be a little bit afraid. He allows the beast to roar. But then God restrains the beast. He doesn't remove him. He doesn't get rid of him. He just puts him on a leash so that his people can know that they're still there and they're still real. They can still remember. And finally, God destroys the beasts. And the people once again live in peace. Unfortunately, before long, the whole cycle starts all over again. You know, the hope comes because the theme remains the same throughout the Bible. No matter how bad things may be, no matter how big the beast may be, no matter how evil the king or how heretical the priest, the faithful of God know that the story is not going to end for them in tragedy. The most evil of empires and kings, heretical priests, worst diseases, wars and depressions, they are no match for goodness, justice and righteousness. Oh, and just to be sure, we're talking about God's justice and righteousness and goodness, not ours. It may not always look like it, but God is winning. God is always winning. The point of all these stories, the ones we're supposed to tell one another when things are especially dark, is that God has not forgotten us. The monsters have not eaten him or scared him off. He will come to rescue us. But until he does, we continue to tell the stories to one another again and again until God calls us to live out the story. What everyone remembers about Jonah is him being, getting swallowed by a giant fish. Now, they may or may not remember him running away from God, being depressed, angry, hating the Ninevites, or asking to die over and over and over again. And maybe the reason is we aren't that much different than Jonah. And so to tell that part of the story, it gets a little too personal. Back in 2017 on Palm Sunday, terrorists blew up two churches in Egypt. They killed at least 45 people and wounded dozens and dozens of others. Instead of running away when the priests announced that Easter worship would go on as scheduled, the churches were packed. They were flowing out the doors and into the streets. Even those who had not been to church for years lined up. They put on their Sunday best and they made sure that they were there. You see, instead of just telling the story to one another, they lived it out. They told the beast, not today, not today. They told the world, our God will save us. And they stood up in the midst of tragedy, pain, and loss, and they lived out their faith. And they wrote a story of God's love and grace for the next generation to tell and for the doubtful and for the fearful to witness. So what would you have done? This is no judgment. This is just a question. You're alone, but what would you have done? Would you have put on your Easter best, gone to church, and dared the devil and the terrorists to do their worst? Would you have stayed at home and prayed for yourself, your church, your pastor, your community? Or, or would you have simply taken a quick trip out into the country, far from the madness and the danger. See, there are still behemoths and leviathans and plagues, even a few evil kings and empires out there. But there are also prophets and storytellers 
and story livers. And often we don't know which we are until the moment arrives. And then we have to choose. Self-preservation is hard to ignore. And our personal biases often have a bigger part of our decisions than we like to admit. If God came to me and told me to go and yell at people I didn't like, people who were doing things that I didn't like, who were saying things I didn't like, that's like a dream come true, isn't it? God giving you permission to go tell people that you are better than they are. Except, and this is the hard part, and the part that most people either don't understand or don't want to admit or just choose to ignore. According to Matthew 18, the only reason you get to say these things is so that the other people repent, so that they get right with God. And by the way, not right with us, get right with God and become part of the family again. See, if you're just yelling at people and telling them how terrible they are, and in your heart you're praying they aren't listening so that you can keep yelling at them and telling them how terrible they are, then I guarantee you aren't doing God's work. You see, the whole reason Jesus says, follow me in the gospel and promises to make them fishers of men and women and children is because God doesn't want anyone to be lost forever. And the reason Jonah runs the other way is not because he's scared of the Ninevites or that they are that really mean of a people, but he knows how good God is. He also knows how good of a preacher he is. And that means the Ninevites would repent that they would get right with God. And Jonah doesn't want that. Jonah wants all the Ninevites to perish forever because he doesn't like them. And this is why the boat Jonah is in starts sinking and the crew has to throw Jonah overboard. And something only God could do. Even in the process of the sailors feeding Jonah to the fishes, they come face to face with God. And they have to wrestle with his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And I hope one or two of them got saved in the process. Meanwhile, Jonah gets swallowed by a giant fish and is cast into a smelly, dark stomach that would slowly dissolve him into nothingness, just like the smelly, dark sin that was slowly dissolving the Ninevites into nothingness. Jonah gets to experience what he was wishing for his enemies. Self-preservation wins out. Jonah repents enough for God to cause the fish to vomit him out onto the beach, and he goes to Nineveh, he preaches, and yeah, the city repents. Everyone was saved, except Jonah, who just kept saying, this is why I didn't want the job in the first place, God, because I knew you were gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And whereas I love those qualities in you when it comes to me, I really don't like it when you apply those same things to my enemy. And while we're all celebrating the Ninevites being saved, because we don't know any, any Ninevites, so none of them have offended us, so we're not angry at any of them. Jonah still wants to die because God didn't agree with him. Jonah needs someone to be his enemy. He needs to know who he's against. He needs to know that their apologies will never be enough. Because then he knows who he is, the one who is better than everybody else. And I'll be honest. There's a part of me that doesn't want God to forgive those who have messed up, abused their power, harmed others, made me mad, ruined people's lives. Because then I start to think maybe I wouldn't know who I was. You know, the more I think about COVID-19, the more I'm convinced that God didn't send it to punish us. But he's using it to teach us that we're all facing the same monsters, the same darkness, the same lostness. There may be a tribe or two in the deepest, most remotest parts of the jungle or desert that aren't affected, 
but everybody else is in the exact same boat that we are in. Or maybe everybody else is in the exact same fish that we are in. We're all in the belly of the fish. We're all speaking to one another the words repent. And the question is not whether we will repent or not, but can we look at one another through the eyes of the one who died on the cross and was swallowed by the darkness and pain of death in our place and then rose again to give us the hope of a life so that darkness can't hold on to us anymore. It might be able to surround us, but it can't hold on to us, let alone suck us into nothingness. Because if we can see one another through the eyes of Jesus, if we can really look out into the eyes of those who are around us, so that even if they aren't wearing their mask or social distancing, even if they are Oakland Raiders fans, even if they don't like in and out double-double animal protein-style burgers, iced tea with light ice and Lutheran liturgy, they are still surrounded by the same darkness that terrifies us. And if we don't like it, and if we're scared of it, we know that they also are scared and don't like it. And so as Jesus teaches us to be fishers of men and women and children, we will tell everyone to repent. But then we're going to add the words, please repent for your sake and for your children's sake. I may not agree with you, but I don't want you to be swallowed up by the darkness forever because nobody deserves that. Someday, I would love for people to tell the story of how God loved you into heaven forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.